We are living in a time of uncertainty, difficulty, and strain. Every day we are tasked with taking each moment as it comes. In addition, we are bombarded with so many messages. My hope and prayer is that these messages will be full of encouragement. That is the goal of this podcast. We do not have to ignore the present realities, but we have to be mindful to make deposits into our mental, physical, spiritual, social, and emotional help. health. I hope the Joy of Learning podcast can inspire you to find moments of joy in your day. Melissa Short is a teacher who has taught for 20 years and has taught the grades pre-kindergarten to second grade. She has taught in public schools in Oklahoma and Texas. In addition, she has taught with the Department of Defense Education Activity in Japan, Portugal, and Germany, not to mention her stateside experiences teaching in Alabama. Stacy Hammer, she coordinates English language arts and reading curriculum for kindergarten through English 4 in a Lado Independent School District in Texas. She has been in education for 16 years, serving as a high school English teacher, a middle school literacy coach, and a middle and elementary school assistant principal prior to her move into centralized curriculum work. Her master's degree is in English literature and rhetoric, and she is currently working on a doctorate in reading and literacy curriculum. As a curriculum specialist, she is responsible for guaranteeing a viable K-12 literacy approach, professional learning, and facilitation of collaborative team meetings for the ELAR teachers in her district. Welcome to the Joy of Learning podcast. I am so excited to have Melissa and Stacy here with us. And so there are a couple questions. We know we're in this big transition from the traditional school setting into digital and virtual platforms. And these two ladies have a wealth of knowledge um, as we go through this transition from the administrative perspective and also from the classroom um, teacher perspective. And so I'm looking forward to hearing their perspectives and also being able to share those with you all and also other fellow educators or education professionals. So welcome, Melissa and Stacey. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. No problem. And so you know, oh, we know we're in this huge transition. And so um, one of the first questions um, that I wanted to ask was, as experienced professionals in education, um, what do you think the biggest hurdle um, is that we have to overcome in assuring a bit of, of a smooth transition from the traditional classroom setting into the digital platforms um, and virtual platforms? Um, from, from the teacher side, it's just that lack of seeing the children every day, um, making sure parents aren't overwhelmed, making sure everybody has what they need, on the digital flat platforms that we're sending out, um, but then also do they need those concrete materials? And then do they, so just that basic understanding of um, here's what to do, here are the supplies, expectations, and then also just letting them know we are here. I 
do certain times and certain calls, but I'm here all the time to support and talk to you and just helping them remember that, I think. Yeah, um, you know, that goes really hand in hand with mine uh, because one of the biggest obstacles is how visible everything we do is now all of a sudden because we're pushing out uh, in my district we're doing asynchronous learning and while there may be optional virtual meetings we know that that's not always possible for a lot of our families and so we standardized the lesson plan across the district which was quite painful um, because there's a sense of a lack of autonomy but it, it really was to keep our teachers safe from you know nobody needs we need to minimize the amount of resistance to what we're doing. And so we felt like the clearer the communication, the more explicit the steps that were expected, um, the drastic simplification of what we're even asking students to do. Um, my position is specifically with English, English language arts and reading, which is just myriad skills, <laughs> you know, integrated and teachers feeling the loss of being able to grow students individually and having small group instruction and having phonics instruction, which is really difficult for non-educators to support. And so the drastic reduction of literacy skills and the clarification across the district, even at different campuses of, this is what we're gonna do in kindergarten. This is what you need to be able to support your student doing mm -hmm. um, has been quite a learning curve. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, teachers are working their hearts out and it's not always easy to think through a lens that you don't have. And so mm -hmm. thinking of the whole system and the tens of thousands of adults that are going to be looking at these lesson plans and trying to make sense of it and support their children. Um, being that bridge for teachers while not making feel teachers feel micromanaged or like they're they're the soul of teaching is being sucked out of them on top mm -hmm. of not getting to see their kids. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really complicated question because I think that that's been the biggest shift is there's a completely different audience for what we're doing. Yeah. And so we really have to reprogram our whole approach to what we're pushing out. Um, and that has been, you know, we're three weeks in and we still, I still am coming alongside teachers who are really trying to continue. They're basically just trying to do homeschool with the students and our, our parents just, they can't support that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's a whole different dynamic, right? It's not, it's, it, it's a whole different dynamic where we're not directly with the students. We're not in the classroom with them. You know, we're not guiding right. them through the process mm -hmm. like we were before. And so, and yeah. add on top of that, now they're in their home environments. And of course, we also mm -hmm. need to talk accessibility, right? <laughs> we have to consider that what's accessible to certain mm -hmm. students and also some of the social and emotional changes. So there's just, again, this new perspective that we're all sort of being thrusted into. So it's a bit right. of a transition. So, no, I, I, I hear you. And so, and you kind of, we sort of already talked um, just about how do you tackle those hurdles, right? So, and what steps. So how have both of you, both of you tackled the hurdles? Um, that were involved with this transition and what steps did you take and what would you recommend? And I know there's different audiences, um, but I'm just wondering like, what are maybe a few ways that you were able to nav navigate through this big transition? Well, in our district, um, 
there are certain platforms that are mandatory. So we use Google Classroom. Within that, there is some freedom. So just having that set up and just having it set up, like I have assignments due this week, our attendance questions, and just, you know, different sections, parent resources, extra stuff, math lessons. And then I've used a couple of different tools. Um, I've used Screencast-O-Matic because I don't always like to make a video where I am on it. And then uh, Prezi is another uh, one I've made where I'm giving overviews of what those lesson plans are. So we do a school site that has our lesson plans. Then I've put it in a condensed, easier site. I use the term I loosely because our team lead did it. But uh, we all helped to make the plans. And so... Then within that, for my page, I go through and I give an overview of this is what that means. Mm. And then with my Prezi presentation, I don't know if either one of you are familiar with it. So it's kind of like a video and I go through and they can click on it and click through it. And just asking for peer input, was this easy? What did you think? And then also I do two calls a week with my students um, where we're doing like a literacy, then a math one. Then I do a story time just for the love of reading and listening to stories. Um, additionally, I do a parent call on Tuesdays to answer questions, see if they want to connect with parents of other first graders in the line, or just if they need a break to chit chat to another grown up that is not their spouse or not their high school child or their younger children. And then um, at the end of every week, just also submit a survey. What was the workload like this week? Just right, too heavy, too light. What challenges did you face? How can I better support you? Uh, what, what do you need from me, from the school, from other teachers? And so just sending out that survey every week just to kind of get a feel of how do I need to shift? As we're going deeper, I think the kids were out for five weeks now. We were out for four weeks. And so just as we continue this, just trying to, that constant communication. Yes, it's really important. Yeah, communication is huge. Uh, we were fortunate enough uh, in our district, we had a later spring break than a lot of the school districts around us. And so we had a, I say that's fortunate only because it gave us perspective and we were able to research what other districts were doing in their plan before we had to roll our plan out initially. And so um, similarly to many of the districts around us, the, uh, the first building closure was really just for two weeks. Ex you know, they called it extended spring break, but that was really a misnomer because school, school uh, came back into session, just the buildings were closed. And so for that first two weeks, we pushed out kind of extensive choice boards so that students were uh, mostly being involved with uh, skills that they'd already learned uh, prior to spring break. And it afforded us time to push out professional learning modules to teachers really with those teachers in mind who had not ever had the time to really invest in becoming um, ed tech savvy, mm -hmm. right? And so we, uh, just like Melissa referenced, we standardized our learning hubs so that parents weren't having to learn so many different platforms. Um, we do have three, uh, K through two utilizes Seesaw, and mm -hmm. then three through 12 had the choice of Google Classroom or Canvas. And uh, just where we are right now, mostly, people chose Google Classroom. We have a small cohort of teachers who had been piloting Canvas in their course already that that was really seamless for them because they were already involved in blended learning. Um, and so, yeah, Screencastify and Flipgrid and other great apps make those learning hubs or those learning platforms 
um, come to life so that the students can actually see their teachers in some cases <laughs> or hear their voiceovers, you know, as they're uh, sharing skills. I mean, none of us have been to the salon in so long that there are fewer and fewer uh, teacher sightings <laughs> in our digital or distance learning plans. Um, and so we, we just took advantage of, we, we actually synthesized the grading guidelines of about 14 different school districts, you know, uh, just trying to figure out, um, man, what, what's going to be the wisest while being most equitable, while also not sac sacrificing the hard work of so many of our high schoolers that have paid yeah. really close attention to their GPA all this time. And um, anyway, there's just such a, there's such a fine balance you know, uh, as we're seeing in so many realms. So, um, yeah, that, that's how we, we kind of rolled it out. Yes. And I, I like how you brought up equitable, right? Because, of course, we need to be thinking about just meeting the needs of all of our students. So um, that's pretty awesome that, again, I think both, both districts in general, we're trying to look at how we can equitably meet the needs of students or meet them where they are. So Right, and I, I forgot to mention, um, like you said, uh, Melissa, about uh, asking your students' families, we did that. I know we have teachers who are doing that, but whole scale, about three weeks in, we pushed out a district feedback uh, survey just because initially we were having every core class have two hours uh, at the secondary level, so eight hours of asynchronous learning per week, and the families could decide when they're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, with 30 minutes of certain electives. And then at the uh, elementary level, we were pushed out uh, one hour per core, and we have reduced, you know, my uh, colleague who's over social studies curriculum is not exactly happy with it, but we did reduce our social <laughs> studies requirements and kind of tried to integrate them into ELAR for elementary, yeah. um, just on responding to parent feedback that this is just not doable. And, and I think our middle school just did the same thing as well, right, Joy? So yes, there was a, a transition, at least in terms of the classes. I, it was a little bit different, but before we were following our normal schedule. And so that was for about, again, the block schedule, 90 minutes. And then we did, there was the district, overall district feedback that came through. And again, it, it from what parents were sharing, it appeared that it was incredibly overwhelming. It's a lot of screen time, screen time for students. And so we did cut back. And so pretty much when we meet, we meet for 30 minute blocks. And so there's a lot of up, or I would say front loading or being up front with, these are the assignments, these are the tasks um, that we mm -hmm. have laid out. This is what we're working toward. And so- And you both are in Germany right now, right? Yes. Yes. So in Germany, I just, I wanna, I don't, I don't wanna assume, in, in America, and I'll speak specifically for Texas, man, the divide, of households without, you know, internet and really having to push out hard copy packages, you know, trying to get devices and hotspots, but that's not always a fix. Some of our teachers, and I, I work in a more rural district at this point, and so even that, so even sometimes, you know, we have principals who have really shoddy Wi-Fi and stuff like that. So it's really brought to the brought to the forefront the whole discussion about that Wi-Fi is an essential need. It is something that should be universal. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I, I'm really thinking whether or not that's something that's going to be at least pushed through. I'm thinking sort of the government side in terms of, hey, that this is something across the board that should be provided right now. And so, and I right. think the current crisis, we're, we're actually seeing that, hey, 
our students, they don't have access to the internet. And I think we're also sort of debunking the myth that internet is just for video games and going on social media apps. No, there's right. other, there's ways, there's accessibility when it comes to accessibility knowledge, when it comes to um, having access to internet, right? So right. I really mm -hmm. think that this is going to set in motion some changes. So I sure hope so. It, it really grieves me. We've reduced the number drastically in our district, but I work for a, a pretty affluent district in comparison to where I've worked in the past. And so um, I can't really complain, but it does still grieve my heart when we're sending home a hard packet to some students and then other students are getting these rich inquiry based exploration of all these different articles and as News LA and uh, I'm sorry, News LA and Common Lit and other websites are pushing out these great free, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of paywall uh, situations are now lifting the paywall and mm -hmm. teachers are getting to use that. But if we're pushing home a hard copy packet, worksheets basically, to other students, they're not getting that rich, mm -hmm. you know, uh, exploration in their learning. Um, and so that that's grievous to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I know that our school uh, tried to send home, you know, we don't have a computer lab set in our school, but each grade level has a cow. So just sending home laptops with as many students as we can, just so that, you know, they're sharing technology, but that they have something to use for themselves. And we're also in a rural area. So, you know, bandwidth is an issue and sketchy internet. And so, but luckily, I think for the most part, we did a pretty good job with supplying kids with what they need, but yeah, I think everybody's doing all they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, um, definitely. In terms of providing the technological resources that students might need or figuring out like, how can we work with um, at least the, the base community to make sure those resources are provided. Um, I, I think that we're doing relatively well. However, again, we know that there are other areas where how many students there's, thousands of students just in one area. So I know that our numbers are a little bit smaller in comparison. So yes, oh. so we're, we're hoping for change and this will shed, shed light on that change. So I, I, also wanted, I also wanted to ask the question now, rapport is such a big thing, right? So how I'm thinking, Melissa, how are you building rapport with your students? And then also for Stacy, how are you helping to keep that relationship between teachers and students going and also with the administrative side and teachers? How are you able to keep rapport building? Uh, for me, I teach first grade right now, Stacy. And so just when we have our calls, we always start with our good morning song that we sing in class. And it's just so fun to see the kids clap and singing. I can see their parents kind of chuckling behind them. And then we do, we did the responsive classroom in, in my class in the morning. So a sharing time and a cheer. So we sing our song, we do our cheer, just some of those still normal routines. And um, it's, it's just so interesting to see what they have to stay, say. Uh, then additionally, we, we have our calls and I, I really tend to focus more on mental health side of things and social side of things versus the academic side. I do the reading, we do math exit tickets, but I really want to focus on those social skills and mental health things with young children. And then our story time is just, again, for the love of my reading and them listening and asking questions about what we're reading. We just decided actually on Thursday 
that they wanted to continue lunch bunch with me. I said, all right, we'll do lunch bunch. We'll get our lunch, we'll eat, and we'll do it like this. And they were really excited about that. And then I've set up a virtual recess for the students. Now, in first grade, I feel like I can do that. In older grades, I might be like, I don't know. But uh, I have a link for them. And sometimes I hop on it and we do a go noodle together. or We do something fun or funny. Other times I just check the call to see who's on it. And I kind of record that. And then they get to chat with one another. And then again, just talking to their parents, seeing what's going on at those Tuesday meetings I have with them. Just trying to figure out what's going on. And if I haven't seen somebody or heard somebody on a call, then just um, quick check in with them. But yes. I don't know. I, uh, this past week I did um, school supply deliveries for workbooks to the end of the year. Uh, we're coming up on some units they didn't have in hand as well. And so it was just really great just kind of throwing things onto their porch and talking to them from my car. And it was a little bit more emotional than I anticipated it would be, but yeah. it, it was really great to see them. And I don't know, just let them know I love them and I miss them. And, you know, because I have a big pool party when this is all over. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Barbecue, everything come together. That's right. <laughs> Uh, well, this is such a happy question um, that I hate to take it back to the, the last question because this is another this is another place where inequity really shines through because the way that you continue rapport is through digital means, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, we we have actually asked our teachers to not do any direct instruction um, virtually only because then you're then there are there are kids who are missing out on that direct instruction and so um we use the webex platform and when our teachers have their webex meetings it's really all about the social emotional and just how are you doing and of course teachers getting tours of their students homes and yeah. meeting all the kids and you know all of that incredible stuff and man we have just some really creative teacher teams who have um created themed videos that they're pushing out to their students so that the students are still getting to laugh, you know, with and at their teachers. And um, at the high school level, I've even seen high school English teachers doing interactive read-alouds, you know, just, just really trying to touch base hum human to human in this time. Um, and, uh, you know, many, many seniors who have complained all year about being so done with school, reaching out to their teachers and going, I had no idea how much I would miss everybody you know even even other people who I couldn't stand or teachers classes that I dreaded going to I just I didn't get to decide you know that this was over and so um yeah so lots of opportunities for virtual meetings pushing out uh fun kind of shenanigans um I hate to bring up TikTok because it's so incredibly <laughs> controversial and not at all appropriate for kids below a certain grade level but you know whole whole campuses learning a TikTok dance and yeah. letting students laugh at their teachers mm -hmm. and administrators try to pull it off and um, just really creative. You know, I think that times like this really bring out the innovation, the innovative thinking in people's, you know, minds and the parade processionals of cars, you know, mm -hmm. staying socially distanced, but, you know, waving at people and making them feel seen, you yeah. know, during these times, I've just been really inspired by educators didn't go into this business to get rich and they didn't go into this business to um for for notoriety or anything like that you know they really just want that connection with their students you know and make people's lives better so yes 
I, I would have to agree with your innovation. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that one of the things I like about TikTok, and I feel like you forget about the world's worries in a way while you're trying to learn a dance. And it's just so much right. stuff that comes through. So I have done a few. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gets you active. Yeah. That's right. It gets you active. So, but by no means are we promoting that students oh. get TikToks and <laughs> no, no, <laughs> below a certain grade level, below a certain age, I think it's 14, it's actually illegal. You're not supposed to actually have a TikTok if you're under 14. Yeah. So, no <laughs> promotion of TikTok at all. <laughs> Right. But yeah, that, I mean, that creativity, the innovation that comes out where we're just trying to figure out, well, how can we connect, right? Because that connection right. in the classroom is just so important. And I, I, I think about whenever I'm doing the virtual instruction or doing sort of the, the meets, we meet by Google Meet, it's like, man, I wish I could see their mannerisms. I wish I could see if that moment they have it or if they don't. Like I miss those subtle right. in the classroom that I don't get to see anymore. It's like, I have to click on a picture, here's the picture. <laughs> and by that time, that whole movement is gone. And so, right. I think well, and it's not the same. It's not. It's really not the same to meet virtually. I, I, I was just discussing this with a colleague last night. We had a kind of a decompression <laughs> Zoom right <laughs> after uh, the week and, uh, I was trying to articulate, you know, in the classroom when I taught high school and then ever since as I've been teaching teachers, um, I can list a long list of weaknesses of mine, <laughs> but one of my strengths is that I read people really well. I, mm -hmm. I can tell when I'm losing people, I can tell if there's mis if there's uh, miscommunication or confusion or, or even if there's just tension and I don't know why it's there, I can, I can feel it. That's just something that I, that I do. And I don't have it on virtual meetings. So if I'm interjecting something into the conversation and one of the 10 people starts laughing or, you know, is obviously texting or whatever, I like, I'm completely thrown out because um, my mind goes automatically to, oh no, did I, did I, is the bandwidth sketchy and I'm like blurring in slow motion right now or, you know what I mean? It's really difficult for me to read the room and pick up on, where people are. So I feel like less of a teacher, you know, I feel like, Oh no. And I've got to keep going back and going, are you with me? But yeah. then I feel like if they just were doing something inadvertent that I'm hijacking the flow of the conversation. So it's, it's been a real awkward adjustment for me and I'm very social yeah. uh, to this virtual. Why is your face doing that? Are you upset? Did I just say something confusing or are you just looking at your phone or your dog is running across the yard? It could be so many things going on. That's right. That's right. It's like reprogramming our minds to, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of reprogramming that's going on. You know, I was just thinking, Constantly. we have certain steps that we go through when we're think, going through a lesson and those steps are sort of, they're still there, but it looks different. It feels different. Right. <laughs> we're still trying to follow the steps. <laughs> exactly. It, it just it's not gonna look the same. No, not at all. Just we gotta grieve it and move on. So <laughs> and it is a grieving process, absolutely. It is, it is definitely. We have and I think we do have to address that too, the, the grieving side of it with with this transition and how things used to be 
Um, of course, I'm very optimistic for the future, but it's possible it's going to look different. And so, um, again, we, we don't know what it will look like. However, we know that what was is not what is right now. And so we have to give space for our students to grieve. Um, I even realized with my children, or at least with my daughter, I have to give space for her to grieve because she doesn't like the meets. She does not like going on to the meetings and, and it's really tough for her. And I, I'm, I'm learning that, okay, this is tough for all of our students. We need to give them the space and time. So, yeah. and that sort of leads me, I know, of course, um, the next question, we're sort of looking at what the future of education would look like. And so um, I, I wanted to ask if you believe that in the midst of this pandemic or just the crisis in general, do you believe the education system will in some shape or form be transformed? I know it's a heavy question. It's pretty extensive. <laughs> um, will I hope so. I, I actually feel like it's not a negative question. Now that may be easier for me to say because I'm not divorced from a class right now, so I don't want to seem callous or like I'm making light of that because I've been out of the classroom a while, but I still remember how much my students were like family and would not be doing very well <laughs> if I had been abruptly uh, separated from them. So saying that, I also want to say like I mentioned earlier, this is really bringing out the best in so many educators. And on the other side of this, educators are gonna have such an entirely different skill set that I would think it would be a real shame for us to long for or go back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to capitalize on whatever it looks like. I mean, best case scenario, we go back somehow, improbably. <laughs> we have vanquished coronavirus and it's safe to put 20 to 30 kids in a classroom, um, you know, in transition classrooms all day long and things like that. But so let's say that that actually somehow miraculously happens. I would actually be saddened if we just go back to exactly the way we did things before. I mean, we now know things about the way technology can enrich and empower. And I'm not necessarily talking about like first graders, like, you know, in your class, Melissa, but I'm thinking about, you know, the whole spectrum. If, yeah. if some of the heavy lifting can be done, you know, um, in class and some of the more direct teach, and now that we've learned these things, if we can push out where students can get initial information, and we've mm. talked about flipping classrooms for years, but not with any high stakes involved, not with, mm. oh, we have to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. But now that we do know how to do it, how much more can we grow students and involve ourselves in units that allow for inquiry and variety and choice and things like that than going back to whole class, well, in my subject, one text, we're all reading the same text at the same mm -hmm. pace, and then you're going home and I'm begging you to read this exact amount of pages that everybody else is reading. And you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to opportunities to just grow our ability to grow others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. How do, what does that, what would that even look like in first grade, Melissa? Because you know that's not my expertise. <laughs> I don't even know. You know, I was thinking actually about this today because I thought, you know, I, I have on the, the communication with parents, I really enjoyed creating the Prezi presentations. They have found it clear to understand what we're studying, what we're going through. So maybe continue with something like that so that they can ease through and understand more what 
their learning looks like for the child. Mm -hmm. uh, in the classroom, I, I was wondering if we would have smaller class sizes. I don't know because it's hard for a young child to social distance. They, yeah. It's impossible for a young yeah. child to social. I will just put it out there. Yes. And <laughs> you know what that looks like, but I, I hope just, yeah, I, I would hope that we would have more technology that we, not necessarily lots of screen time for the kids, but just teach them different programs and that a different skill set to utilize and let them know it's not just YouTubing and the video games, but they can be creative with it and, and do this mm -hmm. in, in their discoveries and uh, in their that learning process yes. a little bit more than what we had opened for young children. Yes. Yes. A lot of those digital citizenship, also that's a, a big one. Some of that, those skills that come along with that, how to engage with people online, right? Um, that could be mm -hmm. a big role, even when I'm thinking from elementary up to, to high school. So, but hopefully technological tools that they can utilize, but at the same time, it enhances their learning and understanding. So a lot of times when I think sometimes there's this propensity to think that, um, technology is here's a video you see them doing it on there and then after that then you kind of have your lesson all the way through now that's not everyone but it's like sort of the the thought but there's tools that students can use that could enhance their learning and so right for sure well a friend and i were actually discussing this question as well prior to this and she was saying you know maybe that looks like in middle school high school where they have more virtual classes or they do different kinds of programs you know maybe they're more of an introvert or they or they don't do well in the school setting but they're really excelling in this sort of dynamic so maybe they just go to a couple of classes in building then they do a bulk of classes in this setting so maybe that schedules look different i i don't know yeah yeah i was kind of wondering if we were gonna have to uh if we're gonna have to make physical attendance um optional because I, d I don't see normal truancy laws being able to be carried out like you know as we're rolling and opening up I would think I just can't see governors or mayors or superintendents saying every child now has to attend school again you know what I mean so I'm thinking we're gonna have to have some kind of hybrid where there may be some kids present and some kids at home like an A, B day, like your kids come to school on this day, your kids come to school on that day. Or if your family is just saying, it's not safe. We have underlying you know, health conditions at the home. We cannot send our child there and have them coming back every day. So then that child gets to learn from home, maybe just you know, through you know, telelearning or something like that. I, I don't mm. know, we're gonna have to get really creative. creative. Yes, so we're, we're definitely on a new frontier. And it's always great to hear insight from um, educators who are in the classroom and also that of administrators who see the, see the big picture and see how things are operating, especially on the infrastructure side of things. And so I really would like to thank Melissa and Stacy for spending time with our podcast and just sharing their wealth of experience and the, their wealth of knowledge as we continue on this transition to what was known as the traditional classroom into virtual and digital um, learning or platforms. Thank you, ladies.
If you have been listening to the Joy of Learning podcast, which if you hear this message, yes, you've been listening. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you have thoughts, questions, ideas, please send them our way. You can reach me at info at takejoyandlearning.com. I hope to hear from you and I look forward to talking to you soon.